I wonder why is it that you came to church today? I mean, you, you came through the snow. Well done. Why was it you came? Was it habit? Uh, was it because your spiritual batteries are, are running a bit flat? Or is it because you like socializing, seeing your friends? You enjoy the band, you enjoy singing. I mean, why is it you've come? Why do we do this Sunday by Sunday? Uh, about a week or so ago, I was asking a woman why her husband has stopped coming. He doesn't feel he needs it, she replied. Now, what does God have to say? Well, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and uh, someone will bring you a Bible. Just keep your hand up. Don't be shy. They'll bring you a Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. And if you have one of the church Bibles, you'll turn to uh, page 1208. Open up your Bible apps. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start reading at verse 19. And before reading, let's just pray again and ask that God would speak to us through his word. Father, we want to thank you that we have rejoiced at some of the truths of the gospel. Lord, it gives us confidence to come. And Father, we, we don't want to just go through the motions right now. We want to commune with you, the living God. Give us sincere hearts to be open to your voice through your word and father would you speak to every person in this room today and teach us and prepare us for this week ahead we ask this in christ's name amen hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching this is God's word so keep this open we're going to work through this today and uh, before we kind of dig in I want you to just notice the some of the structure of this book and to, and to simply highlight we're into the application bit of the letter this is the start of a new section and uh, if you just keep your finger in this passage and turn back to chapter 4 And verse 14. And you'll see there's a section that's very similar to the one we've just read. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest 
who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, these two sections are like bookends, beginning with therefore, a very similar context, because it is sandwiching this, these amazing chapters, chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, which is the great block of teaching that gets us to focus on the amazing person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest for the people of God. That's the content that we've been dealing with, some great and wonderful theology. Now, if you're new to church and uh, new to the Bible, that might all seem a bit odd to you, and it's a shame you've missed out on the last uh, few weeks and months. I'd encourage you to kind of read these chapters. You can go online. You can uh, catch up with the sermons if you're interested. But uh, these chapters 5 to 10 have, have kind of shown us how the religious practices of Israel, their, their worship practices uh, that we read about in the Hebrew Scriptures, they're all kind of preparing us and foreshadowing and pointing us forward to the reality of the coming of Jesus Christ and all he would accomplish. God didn't want us to miss out the most significant event in history, the coming of his one and only son, uh, Jesus Christ. And so he, he actually took thousands of years to prepare us for it in the history of Israel so that we could see the significance of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to God's right hand where even now he's, he's working on the behalf of the people of God. The Old Testament books of Exodus and Leviticus give us the content of these worship practices of Israel. How they, as a sinful people, could yet approach a holy God. And they could only do so um, through confession of their sin. And God said, well, actually, uh, your sin separates you. And, and, and it deserves judgment and death. But actually, you can... You can have an animal substitute in your place. So instead of um, you dying for your sin, this animal, as it were, dies in your place, and, and you bring that animal sacrifice, you confess your sin, as that animal is sacrificed, as the blood is poured out, as the blood is applied in this uh, special tent, the, uh, in the courtyard of this tabernacle tent, you can be right with me. God instituted this, this, uh, this tabernacle structure as a symbolic uh, representation of God living amongst his people, God living at the center of his people. It was divided into two halves. There was the holy place and the most holy place. And in the most holy place, uh, there was this Ark of the Covenant, a golden box. And inside it were the, was the Old Testament law. On the top of it was a, was a solid gold lid with a crafted angelic uh, beings with their wings outstretched over the box which symbolized the sort of the immediate presence of God and the only way to to draw near was was through the priests and through the sacrifice and the priests would enter into the holy place but only once a year the high priest would enter the most holy place and make atonement for the sins of the people on this Ark of the Covenant and I'm filling all this in for you because if this is your first Sunday you'll not understand 
some of the terminology that we've just read in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to see it. I want you to get it. But if you have been here, I hope you see that as we get to chapter 10, verse 19, we're getting some wonderful summarizing statements of all the content of 5 to 10. And, and you know, I, I'm enjoying watching the Civilization show on TV as we look at the cultures of the past, but there's nothing more fascinating than the, than the history of what we see in Israel because it's not just like interesting facts from the past. It, it's there so that we get how wonderful Jesus is. So we get how amazing it is all that he's achieved for us. And so out of all the civilizations of history, I would urge you, if you've not done so already, to make some study of, of God's ancient people of Israel that we find in the Old Testament. Because these will give you categories that will help you understand the true and living God that is there and how you can relate to him. And we, we cannot just come any time we want, any way we want. We're sinful people. We need a sacrifice of atonement. We need a priest who will mediate between us and a holy God. Only then can we approach this living God. And, you know, as we come to chapter 10, uh, this is why these verses, you know, we're hitting home the summarizing content. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, therefore, there's some, there's some applications of this amazing doctrine. Of course, all the people reading this letter in the first century, uh, they wouldn't have needed, you know, explanation. Uh, they knew their Hebrew scriptures. They, they grew up in, in Jewish families. They understood all this imagery, all this history. Uh, and, and yet he's writing to these, uh, these folks who were converts to Christianity from a Jewish background because they're experiencing kind of intense persecution and pressure for converting and becoming Christians. And uh, they are being tempted to kind of return back to Judaism where life would be easier and, and safer. And so all the way through this letter, the writer, we don't, we don't know exactly who the writer, who his identity is, but the writer has been patiently showing them uh, at every point in their history that what they now have in Jesus is better than what they had in their Judaism. That was just the shadow pointing forward to this reality of Jesus. And what they now have in Jesus is, is superior to what they had before. And so it just makes no sense to think about going backwards when you've got what is better, what is superior in Jesus. See, compared to the limited access that only a few could have, only a few priests could have, and only one high priest once a year into the most holy place, then just consider the incredible privileges that are now ours who are trusting Jesus. All people, men and women, 
can become brothers and sisters in the household of God. And we have free access to confidently approach a holy God anytime we wish to. And there's two reasons for that in verses 19 to 21. Because of his superior sacrifice and because of his superior high priesthood. His superior sacrifice in the past. See, our confidence to approach God is because we approach by the blood of Jesus. And when we refer to the blood, we're talking about his brutal death on the cross. His willing self-sacrifice as he was crucified in the place of sinners. Now we're approaching Easter and uh, we're going to remember the events of the final week leading up to Good Friday and the crucifixion and then, the, you know, it's so thrilling on Easter Sunday, isn't it, to, to remember the resurrection. Uh, but the gospel accounts tell us that at the moment of his final breath upon the cross, something extraordinary happens. In the temple, which sort of is a, the more permanent physical reminder of the tabernacle this curtain that separated the most holy place from the from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom jesus suffers he's dying and in his final breath this curtain which was a no entry sign is ripped in two because now the way is open for people to approach a holy god through the sacrifice of jesus by his blood. And the spatial imagery of the temple is a reminder of our spiritual privileges. It's by his blood poured out, by his body torn, as the language of verse 20 says, that we have access into God's most holy place. The death of Jesus has opened up a new way into his presence. It was not possible before. His death has opened up a living way because this is the way to forgiveness and life, eternal life. And although we are sinful, having done things that make us unclean, unworthy to come before this holy God, if we rely on his sacrifice, we can be cleansed, washed clean completely made worthy, acceptable to approach the most holy God. And secondly, it's not only just trusting what Jesus has done for us in the past and his death upon the cross. We trust the ongoing work of Jesus for us in the present. It is necessary not only to have a sacrifice for sins, but a priest. And Jesus continues as the high priest for the people of God. Uh, it was thrilling a few years ago when we, uh, at Contagious, studied the book of Leviticus. And by the way, parents, sign up your children for Contagious. Uh, you, you, you will not, your children will not regret it. Your young people will not regret it. But we spent a week on the book of Leviticus. And as we studied sort of the clothes that the high priest wears... There's two thrilling aspects, there's so much that's thrilling about it, but uh, the high priest uh, wears upon his shoulder these uh, d different things that remind, that are basically we're representing the tribes of Israel. 
The people of God, as it were, are carried on his shoulders as he goes into the presence of God. And we have a high priest who carries the burdens of his people before God's very presence. And the people of God also represented in, in 12 stones on a breastpiece on the front of the high priest because his people are on his heart. He loves his people and he carries the burden of his people and he represents his people for a holy God. And we have a superior high priesthood in Jesus because of his ongoing work for us at God's right hand right now. We come into an extraordinary privilege as the people of God. As a result of all of that teaching, therefore, we move into this practical application. This is where the rubber hits the road. Here are the specific applications for us as Christians now who've put our faith in Jesus. And I want you to see how exciting and thrilling it is that we have these opportunities. And there's three lettuces of application. Did you notice that? Three lettuces. Verse 22, if you look down your Bibles, let us draw near to God through faith. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And verse 24, let us spur one another on towards love. The applications has to do with faith, hope, and love. So we're going to think about these three applications briefly this morning. Firstly, let us draw near. I couldn't resist it. There it is. That's how I remember this passage. It's crazy enough that maybe you'll remember it too. Uh, let us draw near. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Do you get it? So th therefore, since everything has been done so we can gain access into God's holy presence, enter in. Draw near to God. We don't have to be in a special building. We don't uh, have to go to a special place, a special city. We don't have to wear special clothes we don't have to go through elaborate ceremonies or rituals or practices. We, if we're trusting Jesus, we can simply approach God through faith in Jesus Christ. Anytime, any place, any situation. This is our great privilege as the people of God. Draw near to God. Do you see that there's still a decision of your will? It's all been done for you. All the privileges are, are there for you. The question is, will you avail yourself of them? Will you take hold of them? Will you step in? It's about turning to God in prayer. We talk about prayer so casually. Oh yeah, prayer, prayer. We don't think it's a big deal. You're approaching the holy God, the creator of the universe, the omnipotent, all-powerful, great, glorious, gracious, good God. You can come, yes, in 
pray through Jesus. What an awesome privilege. It's sadly possible to live in your house uh, with your spouse and your children, but for long periods of time, completely ignore them. You can walk around them, make occasional noises, but actually never seek them out, never look them in the eyes, never sit down to listen to what they have to say, never engage in a conversation. Now, it's possible to live like that, but it's very, very sad, isn't it? It's a very sad way to live. And you know what? God has done everything possible to clear all the obstructions away so that we can have a direct, personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so the writer to the Hebrews wants to urge these guys, enter in, draw near. Make space to hear from God as you read his word. Make time to talk to him, to bring your cares and your burdens and your thanksgiving and your rejoicing. So it's a genuine relationship with God. You know, there's clearly a choice here, isn't it? So the first point of application is this exhortation. Draw near to God. See, back in chapter 3, we heard the the warning about the danger of having a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, that refuses to obey and respond to God. Well, don't be like that. Instead, uh, verse 22, draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a true desire to listen and to respond and to be the sort of people that believes God's promises, that lives with the assurance that everything that God has promised in his gospel is true. That if we turn from our sin and trust Jesus, we are totally forgiven, and he has made us spiritually clean. And it seems to me that the reference of uh, having our bodies washed with pure water is probably a reminding of their Christian baptism where outwardly they received the sign of what had happened on the inside when they trusted Jesus. That their sinful hearts were cleansed, and so they no longer need to suffer from a guilty conscience. Some of you don't believe this, because you have such guilty consciences. But if you've trusted Christ, you can approach Him today because your guilty conscience has been cleansed. You've been washed. You've been made acceptable. So come in. There's no need for you to go, oh, I'm not worthy. No. He's done it. He's made you worthy. Enter in. Draw near to God. Now, it's a great privilege that uh, each of us as individuals, individual brothers and sisters, we can do this on our own, but it's a great privilege to share uh, as his people together in this privilege. Let us, he says to the community, let us draw near. Uh, 
So that's why we pray together. It's great that Chris led us in prayer. And I hope that you added your amen because you're saying, yep, yeah, I'm praying that too. I'm praying that with you. I'm praying it together, corporately, as you add our amen. And my question this morning is, why do we not make more of this invitation? At several times this week, as I've been studying this passage, I've been reminded as I've been studying it, turn to him now. It's a decision to make, isn't it, in your business of life? To remember, you're living in the presence of the living God. Turn to him, praise him, thank him, ask of him. Bring your burdens to him. We spend a lot of time fretting and being anxious, don't we? Turn to the one who can do something about it. You're suffering uh, temptations to the point you're almost giving in. Don't suffer alone. Turn to him. You're going through difficult trials. Life's really hard. Turn to him. Draw near. You know, even if your friends, we sometimes sing, even if your friends and uh, family turn against you, you have a heavenly Father who is for you, who delights to meet with you in the place of prayer. You know, they often sing in Anfield, you'll never walk alone. It's only true of the Christian. You never walk alone. Your Father is there. Turn to Him. What great things can be accomplished by the people of God when we live by faith and in prayerful dependence upon Him. In fact, it's going to be a whole chapter coming up, chapter 11. Because this point of application, he's going to develop it big time in chapter 11. These men and women of faith who lived believing the promises of God, who relied upon God and did and accomplished amazing things and endured terrible things and persevered to the end. That's the first application, the first lettuce. Let us draw near. Second lettuce, let us hold fast. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God has made us amazing promises of what is yet to come. Are we going to believe him? This new covenant that Jesus has brought about is, is um, one that will one day transform the whole world. The book of Hebrews has talked about an eternal inheritance. I don't know about you, but I think the thought of inheriting something that lasts forever is pretty cool. Being part of the new creation, the new earth, it's pretty amazing. That actually, um, you know, I was, went to visit one of our sisters who's uh, really struggling. Her body weakening, dying. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. It's not disease, death, and decay for us. But new resurrection bodies just like the Lord Jesus Christ. A reuniting with those who've also loved Christ and gone on ahead of us. What a wonderful thing. And I suppose the point is, well, can we trust God? Can we trust his promises? 
He's never failed in one of them. He's totally trustworthy. And so he says to these Christians in the first century, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. Now all the, the, the hope that we have is anchored in Jesus. If you let go of Jesus, you can have none of this hope, none of this certainty, none of this confidence. And so don't let go of Jesus. We sang it. He's the anchor of the soul. He's gone on ahead of us into God's very presence. And in fact, by faith we are tied to this anchor. Hold on to Christ and you will be where he is now in God's presence. You will most certainly belong to the future that is to come, this eternal inheritance, if you hold on unswervingly to the hope that we have, these precious promises that God has given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Chapter 12 is going to give us a lot of good teaching about how we can hold on to this hope. Um, he's going to help us to know how we can not lose heart. He's going to warn us about the dangers of um, foolishly throwing away our inheritance, chasing after lentil soup and false sources of hope and comfort in this world. So draw near, hold fast. Thirdly, spur on. Verse 24 to 25. So here is one of the reasons why uh, we should be motivated to come to church as much as we are able. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the great blessings that we can enjoy right now as Christians is to be part of a Christian family to belong to a local church. That's why we think membership's really important. And if you're not a member of a church somewhere as a Christian, you know, what's holding you back? This is the way that we work out who wants to be cared for in our church. Who, who, who are the elders supposed to look out for? Who are we supposed to be praying for? You know, we're a city center church. People come in, people go. We, we don't always know who is it we're supposed to look after? But membership is the way that we do that. That we say, okay, okay, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, care for me, and I'm going to be involved in caring for you. That's what the membership gig is all about. We are so easily distracted, discouraged, depressed, disheartened, and in God's kindness, he puts us in spiritual families where we can meet up and encourage each other. And if you think that uh, you're spiritually in great shape without being a member of a local church and without turning up and meeting with your brothers and sisters, then you've seriously misunderstood the Christian life and you're lacking love. Well, that's great that you're on fire spiritually, but there's people on here who are on the floor and they need you to come here and encourage them. And the truth is one day you're going to be on the floor and you're going to hope and pray that when you turn to church and at coffee time, someone's going to come up and going to really talk to you, listen to you, pray with you, and encourage you because that's why we gather. It was great um, uh, a week or so ago meeting up with Alan Reed, our uh, deacon of catering hospitality. And we were just talking about why this is so important. Why, is tea, why do we do tea and coffee? Is it because we love tea and coffee? Well, yeah, we do. We do. 
But there's something about holding a cup that means you're willing to stand around a little bit longer. Standing without a cup, I feel really sad. Billy, no mates. Norman, no friends, you know. Uh, but if I've got a cup, I can stay a little bit longer. And the point of holding that cup is to stay around long enough so others, we can talk to each other. We have reasons to stick around. This one anothering time after church is vital. It's crucial. It's a key part of what we're doing. Yeah, the formal time of church is over. Church continues in the tea and coffee time. And can I encourage you um, to make most of those opportunities to, um, you know, yeah, talk about the snow and the rugby and blah, blah, blah. But actually ask them, what did you think of the sermon? How did the sermon encourage you? What challenged you? What did you learn about Jesus today? How's, how's it going in your Christian life? We need to have these conversations more and more together. I noticed you weren't singing today. Have you stopped trusting Jesus? Why are you sad? And you know what? Don't go away having talked about big issues without saying, can I pray with you? Because we can approach the throne of grace to find help together to meet us in a time of need. That's why we have a prayer team down here. Because we, you know, we want to help you if you feel like you can't pray right now to, to pray with you and pray alongside you. Uh, my friends, can I encourage you, if you're preparing a meal uh, for Sunday, why don't you put a bit more food in there so you can have two more people and just look out on a Sunday. Who could you invite back to your home? Brothers and sisters who you could encourage. There's great love expressed by simply showing hospitality. Just sitting someone down, feeding them. And then, my friends, turn the conversations again to, to Christ. Oh, more and more we can grow in this. I think it's happening and it's a wonderful thing, but I, I, I really think it's, it's something we can continue growing in because that's why we gather. Sadly, people stop coming. In the first century, some were in the habit of doing. Why? Well, there was intense persecution. It was hard to live the Christian life. When people stop coming, it's a statement. It's a statement that there's some physical needs. Maybe they're unwell. They just couldn't make it out. Be observant, Christian family. Who's not here? Give them a call. Phone them up. Hey, I noticed you weren't in church today. Oh, you were. You were in the balcony. Sorry, I didn't see you. That could happen, couldn't it? But let's, let's pursue those that we know aren't here. We missed you. Can we help you? Um, but let's find ways where we can encourage each other because that, you know, another reason that we don't turn up at church is because actually our hearts are going cold. We're getting hard, sinful hearts that actually don't want to listen to what God has to say. I'm no longer finding joy singing his praises because we're beginning to drift away. So this really matters. There's other reasons why we gather, but this is a very significant reason. And notice as we close, we have a very limited time to engage in this ministry. 
uh, verse 25, and do it all the more as you see the day approaching. I think this is the the final day, the, the day of eternal judgment and eternal salvation. We don't know we've got next week. So make the most of today. Make the most of now. Be intentional. Can I encourage the members of Charlotte Chapel, as you prepare for church, whatever you do, I guess you're combing your hair, you're brushing your teeth and putting some clothes on, right? As you prepare to come, be prayerfully considering who can I encourage today? Say, look, I want to encourage someone today. Bring to my mind someone I could encourage. Come intentionally. Think about who I can I talk to today? Who can I help today? Because the day's approaching. And when we want people to be ready and joyful for that day. And so since we have great confidence in the completed cross work of Jesus Christ in the past and his priestly work in the present, let us draw near to God, let us hold fast to our hope and let's spur one another on towards love. Let's pray.